0: We caught a total monster, and we took him out, and that should have happened a long time ago.
1: Uh, Last week, in our view, uh, the president, the administration conducted a provocative, disproportionate airstrike uh, against Iran, which endangered Americans, and did so without consulting Congress.
2: Welcome to CQ on Congress in 2020. I'm Sean Zeller. What a way to begin the year. As an impeachment trial still looms, House Democrats voted to block President Trump from going to war with Iran, following the U.S. killing of the Iranian general Qasem Soleimani. Iraq, where Soleimani died in a drone strike, is in the middle, again. During the days of Saddam Hussein, Iraq was a Sunni stronghold. Ever since the U.S. invaded, the country's majority Shia Muslim population, backed by Iran, has vied for power with the Sunnis, backed by Saudi Arabia and the other Gulf states. Meanwhile, the Iraqi parliament said on January 5th it wanted the 5,200 U.S. troops there out. So we went to Capitol Hill to ask two lawmakers who served in Iraq how the United States should proceed. Before the House vote, we sat down first with Representative Mike Gallagher, a Republican from Green Bay, Wisconsin, who is serving his second term in Congress, and then with Democrat Ruben Gallego, a third-termer from Phoenix. Thank you for being with us today, Congressman. Happy to be with you. Can you share a bit about your military background? Where did you serve and how, how does that shape your views about our policy towards Iraq.
1: Sure, I was uh, a Marine Corps human intelligence counterintelligence officer from 2006 to 2013. I deployed to Iraq in 2007. And again in 2008, uh, I was what's called a uh, human exploitation team commander, uh, where I had a team of Marines. We were attached to an infantry battalion, and we were in charge of collecting information from human sources. And we were primarily in Al-Anbar province, in a very
2: western part uh, near the Syrian border. So you were there at a time when we were facing down a resistance after the initial invasion.
1: Yeah, I was there sort of a uh, later part of the surge. The surge happened in Ambar a little bit prior to other parts of the country. So it wasn't as bad when I got there in 2007. And I would say by the end of 2008, I mean, it was incredibly peaceful. I mean, you could pretty much go anywhere without fear uh, of attack.
2: You're now on the Armed Services Committee. What's your take on the killing this week of General Soleimani. Uh, I think taking uh, not only Soleimani, but
1: also Abdelmahdi al-Mohandas off the battlefield was uh, the right decision. And he's uh, the head of uh, a
2: Iranian Iranian-backed militia exactly. in Iraq, operating in Iraq.
1: Uh, and really, you have to view this in the context of a systematic uh, escalation from Iran over the last year. And I actually think the Trump administration's response... It, despite repeated provocations, was very measured. But throughout that, they established a clear red line that you should not kill American citizens and we will respond. And so when they did that, um, we responded very forcefully. And I do think it has had the practical effect so far of not only sending a message to the Iranians, but potentially reestablishing our credible military deterrent in the region.
2: And you're referring to the killing of an American contractor in, yes. a, in a, a an attack by that militia. Yes. Um. Do you, so do you think that the killing of Soleimani will make Americans safer? I do. Why so? Uh, because you're basically
1: taking the world's top terrorist mastermind uh, off the board. Uh, you're taking a man who is responsible for orchestrating a campaign in Iraq that killed over 600 Americans off the board. You're taking a man that effectively wanted to export the modernized Hezbollah model all over the region to make Iraq not a sovereign country, but uh, an Iranian satellite, and a forward operating base for attacking Israel and all of our traditional allies in the region, particularly the Sunni Arab Gulf states. And he's not easily replaceable. As General Petraeus, a man who I was privileged to work for, said, you can't—you you sort of can't underestimate the value that he provided to the Iranian regime. And so I think this was a tough call, uh, but a courageous call and the right call.
2: Do you think it also might lead to a change in Iranian policy? That's the hope. I, I think it's been a
1: long time since we've been able to combine a policy of maximum economic pressure with a credible military deterrent. I think you'd have to go back to at least 2003, which was the last time the Iranians truly suspended their nuclear program and it coincided with our invasion of Iraq, to find a time when they feared American military power. Certainly under the previous administration, no one in the region thought that Obama was going to strike Iran. So I think we have an opportunity if we use the financial, the informational, the intelligence assets at our disposal, a lot of non-kinetic tools we have to really exploit that division between the Iranian people and the Iranian regime. Because what the Iranian
2: regime fears more than anything else, more than Trump even is its own people. Okay, so you mentioned that the benefit that the killing of Soleimani will give us in terms of a deterrent effect towards Iran. And the drone the drone strike that killed Soleimani was at Baghdad's airport, which underscores, I think, the influence Iran has had, the growing influence Iran has in Iraq. Uh, we had the incursion at the U.S. embassy last month, which presumably occurred with the acquiescence of Iraqi security forces, and we had the Iraqi parliament just this past Sunday call for the expulsion of the 5,200 troops that we have there. Do you think we should nonetheless stay in Iraq? Yes. I think the partnership has been extraordinarily effective in uh, systematically destroying ISIS
1: Uh, It's a partnership that I hope we will continue. I know there are a significant amount of people on the left and the right, by the way, that would like to see us uh, leave. And certainly we can advance and protect our national security interests from outside the territorial integrity of Iraq, as we did for decades prior to the Iraq War. But that is not the preferred option. And I think just as it pertains to that vote, which I know has gotten a lot of attention, uh, it's an acting caretaker government that doesn't have the legal authority to actually expel the U.S. from the country, and therefore this was a non-binding resolution. So I'm not going to tell you that our position in Iraq is is incredibly secure. Uh, indeed, it's tenuous because we've ignored Iran's militia building for the last decade. Now, for the first time in the last decade, we're actually taking steps on the ground to contest Iran's militia building. So we've given the Iraqi people a chance, but ultimately they need to decide that they want to be partners with us over the long term. We can't force it upon them.
2: Okay, so our role in Iraq um, during more recent years has been to fight ISIS, a a fight that has gone well. ISIS is mostly uh, decapitated. But do we see that role shifting now in terms of, is it more important our presence in Iraq to counter that Iranian influence than to fight ISIS? Well, I think we should do
1: everything, uh, take, you know, to use an old Cold War phrase, all measures short of war to contest Iranian domination of the Iraqi political system. But I think we've drawn a clear red line of anytime Iran threatens our troops on an active battlefield in Iraq, those troops retain the inherent ability to defend themselves. And certainly we will be prepared to strike back should they kill our people. And so I think there's a, an interesting balance to be struck there uh, and throughout the region. Uh, listen, um, you know, I think we really need to send a message to all of those who have suffered under the yoke of Iranian brutality, that the United States wants them to be free, wants them to be strong, wants the region to be stable and wants a brighter future for the people of the Middle East. This is a region that has always sort of resisted our efforts to bring some semblance of chaos, of stability uh, to the to the chaos. But if there is a hope for doing it, it's that we can unite all of our traditional allies and find new allies around the common cause of resisting, Uh, the terrorist exporting regime in Tehran.
2: Do you think the war in Iraq gives us a special responsibility to be there to to help install a democracy?
1: Well, uh, certainly as someone who spent a lot of time there, perhaps there is a, you know, I feel a sense of wanting uh, to complete the mission. Um, But, you know, geopolitics is always a matter of making painful choices uh, and uh, ruthlessly prioritizing. And here is our our bigger challenge. Um, No question uh, that, Uh, the Middle East is not our priority theater right now. Uh, Indo-PACOM is our priority theater because our biggest threat is that posed by China over the long term. So we are going to have to find a way to reduce our presence in the Middle East uh, and uh, reposition a lot of our assets, particularly our exquisite assets,
2: our ships, our fighters, uh, in Indo-PACOM. What is the role for Congress here? Do Do you think Congress should be revisiting the authorizations of force that it gave after the September 11th attacks, before the Iraq war? Should it revisit AUMF for an authorization of force for Iran? Yes. Uh, I think, uh, well, one,
1: the 2001 AUMF, uh, I would revisit. Uh, I think we do need to provide some replacement authority to continue to go after Salafi jihadist groups. Uh, ISIS is not completely destroyed. There's also uh, Al Qaeda and its associated forces. So, we are going to con- need authority going forward to target those groups. Uh, so, you could imagine replacing the 2001 AUMF uh, with another AUMF that has enhanced reporting requirements to Congress, but also perhaps has a, a sunset clause in it that says this will expire five years after the enactment. So, it would force a future Congress to go back and revisit it. Similarly, uh, for my colleagues on the left who are decrying the lack of authority here, uh, I would be open to Uh, repealing not only the 2002 Iraq AUMF, but also the 1991 Iraq AUMF that's still uh, on the books right now, provided we could replace it with some authorization uh, that would keep our troops in Iraq uh, for the short term, at least. And then we could, in that, sort of specify why they're there, what authorities do they have to operate offensively. But I guarantee you that authorization would include their right to self-defense and then the bigger third and and bigger thing we need to do is revisit the war powers resolution which has been completely ineffectual since it was passed in 1973 or 74. um i think out of 170 ish war powers notifications that have been sent to congress only one has actually resulted in the withdrawal of troops from combat i fear we're going to take a step back with this more political war powers resolution thing that's being passed uh, when we could be looking structurally at the War Powers Resolution itself and figuring out how can we actually achieve the intent, which is to give Congress a bigger role. Right. At What's the table. your objection to the vote? Uh, well, the draft, the new draft just came out. So I just did a cursory reading, but it has all this silly language that effectively creates a moral equivalence between our troops and the terrorist exporting Iranian regime. It suggests that we were responsible for the escalation. I think the word they use is tit for tat or, or cycle of escalation. That's absurd. There's also an open question as to whether the War Powers Resolution even applies in this case, because we didn't introduce new troops uh, in a new country into hostilities. This was an active battlefield for which there was active authorization from Congress, and as such, may not require a War Powers notification. Furthermore, ask yourself if this gets passed, what would actually change on the ground? I, I'm not sure anything would, which shows you that it's not a real effort. I think it's more of a political effort.
2: Thank you, Congressman. Thank Appreciate you. This is fun. It. I'm going to turn now to Representative Ruben Gallego, a third-term Democrat from Phoenix. Thank you for being with us, Congressman. It's my pleasure. Congressman, the House will vote today on a war powers resolution restricting the president's ability to go to war with Iran. What's your
0: position on the resolution? Well, I'll be supporting the resolution, and it's something we should have done uh, quite a while ago. Why so? Well, I think that there's been a slide, not just by this president, but by previous presidents, to basically get us involved in wars without the consent of Congress and without any end dates and any strategic goals. Uh, Right now, we have two ongoing conflicts that have now been going on for more than 18 years, and I think uh, around 18 years, and I think that uh, that should tell us that we need to at least rein in the executive uh, and have some at least go back to the core idea of what the Constitution had that Congress could only wage war.
2: We had you here today because of your military background. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
0: Sure. Uh, I was a Marine Corps reservist. Uh, served uh, six years in the reserves. Did one tour of duty in Iraq as a infantryman. Uh, largely fought in fought all in Al Anbar Province uh, in basically fighting the insurgency.
2: Did that experience affect your policy views vis-a-vis Iraq, vis-a-vis the Middle East?
0: Certainly, and it certainly affected my policy view, uh, you know, towards uh, decision making. Um, it was a very chaotic time. My my uh, company lost about uh, twenty three men altogether. Um, one of the hardest hit units in the Iraq War. Um, there was no plan. Uh, there was uh, d- we were understaffed. Um, there was no strategic direction. We were just basically going from town to town trying to chase ghosts. Uh, And, um, you know, it really told me a lot about what, you know, what we need to do. And in that sense, that we need to have real leadership uh, in the White House and the Pentagon so we don't end up in these kind of quagmires.
2: Right. The situation in Iraq is getting more complicated as Iranian influence expands there, as General Soleimani's presence there when he was killed indicates. You're now on the Armed Services Committee. Should we have killed him?
0: For me, it's very personal that he was a horrible human being that killed a lot of friends um, and uh, I suspect actually may have uh, contributed to some of the, the deaths of some of my uh, friends. So I will not shed a tear for him. I'm glad he's dead. Um, in terms of what we should think about is what is the strategic best interests and national interests of the United States? Uh, and the strategic best interest of national interest of the United States is to have a unified Iraq that is allied with us that's going to be a buffer uh, against Iran. Um and I think if you look at uh, on paper what happened two weeks ago the Iraqi street was uh, protesting against Iranian influence demanding less Iranian influence uh, and more uh, you know transparency from the Iraqi government. Uh, you know two weeks ago Iran was the enemy and with this killing we've actually turned uh, they, we've turned the tide now we are the enemy to the Iraqi people. And Soleimani's goals, you know, and Iran's strategic goal, no matter what, has always been for us to get out of Iraq, and they have the proxy state of Iraq in their back pockets. They could go freely from Tehran all the way to the Mediterranean Sea. In Soleimani's death, he may have accomplished that. If we end up having the Iraqi government turning against us and ask us to truly leave. I think that's very dangerous.
2: Indeed, the the Iranian influence is strong in Iraq. They share the Shia Muslim religion. Mm -hmm. Should we be doing something other than military action to sway Iraq in the way that you talk about it—being a democracy, being yeah. an ally of the United States, and not of Iran?
0: Well, I think that we should be putting pressure on Iraq to actually fix their corrupt—the uh, corruption that is endemic throughout the the whole government. Uh, we should be encouraging uh, less sectarian strife, uh, and we should try to figure out through diplomatic means how we can do that. Uh, military applications, I think, could only. Uh, stop certain problems, like ISIS, for example. But if we really wanted to actually get the Iraqis to be on our side and also to basically be the, the, the counterbalance to Iran, is that we should help them become a modern state that has transparency and, and basically ending the corruption that's in governments. Because Tehran can only operate in a corrupt Iraqi state.
2: We've historically, in re, at least in recent years, we've been in Iraq. We have 5,200 troops still there yeah. to fight ISIS, the Islamic State, that uh, terrorist organization mm-hmm. that was growing for a time in power in the region. Is that? Do you see that shifting now, that our presence in Iraq is more about countering Iranian influence than fighting ISIS?
0: I think that that is actually what's happening. And like, uh, if, if you've seen some of the um, pronouncements by this president, uh, you know, one of the main reasons why we're supposedly not pulling all the way out of Syria uh, is because we need to guard oil fields, when in fact, I think it's just there for us to, to protect against the capability of Iran, Iran to have the full uh, control of that that sphere there. Um but in my opinion the best way to do that is by having a capable independent uh, Iraq. If you even look at at ISIS, the reason ISIS was able, was able to be so successful is because there was so much corruption in the military that these generals basically had ghost soldiers and they had bases of supposed thousands thousands of men, there were only a couple hundred soldiers there and the generals were pocketing the money, right? So if we can create a Iraq that is corruption free, that is fully democratic, that it's m- and multicultural, it'll be easier for us to get out and then we'll have the proper counterbalance to Iran. The Iraqi
2: Parliament, in reaction to the killing of General Soleimani, voted on January 5th to ask us to leave. Right.
0: Some, a symbolic, yeah, symbolic vote.
2: Uh, should we should we leave or should we stay?
0: Well, I think we should eventually leave. I think for us to leave right now would be extremely dangerous because it would uh, reanimate ISIS, uh, it would only embolden and empower Iran, and it would actually create uh, such a cascading effect that I think it would end up uh, you know, having some more trigger problems, specifically you know, with Saudi Arabia and a lot of our Gulf countries uh, would start arming themselves, preparing for some type of battle against Iran even to the point where we could find ourselves in a situation where we have a nuclear proliferation in that area. So all those things considered, I think we have to figure out a way to get out of this. But the best way to get out of this uh, I think, again, is with a strong Iraqi state and not just allowing Iran to come in and, and gobble up uh, right. Iran. Do you Iran. feel
2: having served there and having lost friends and, and and fellow soldiers there that we have a special responsibility to see this through?
0: I think we have a responsibility to make sure that well, no matter what we do, it has to be in the best interest of this country and in our own national interests. Uh, and at some point, us being there uh, too long does affect our national interests because it's creating a quagmire where we can't actually focus on the real threats uh, of the world, which is, in my opinion, uh, Russia and, and China. Um, so uh, while our commitment uh, is important, it's not something that I think we need to be writing blank checks to. Uh, and I certainly believe that, it, again, it's the best interest of our country to at some point pull out.
2: Right, that's an interesting point because it, it, it is, is the same as uh, Representative Gallagher's view, that we need to... to move away gradually Mm -hmm. towards uh, a greater focus on Russia and China. But he was supportive of the killing of General Soleimani on the grounds that intelligence, according to the Trump administration, says attacks on Americans were imminent. And Soleimani was their best orchestrator of those sorts of attacks. Uh, What's your take on that? Do you think we're safer with Soleimani gone?
0: It's hard to say. I mean, he was a horrible human being, and 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 to some level of degree, obviously, he was had the capability uh, to strike. But it's not like this is a one man show. Uh, it is the Kuds force, tens of thousands of uh, you know quote unquote troops, uh, also militias that were spread all over uh, the Middle East. Um, and so, it, by taking out one person, doesn't necessarily mean that their capability and their ability to strike is is gone. Uh, and I think that's something that we have to remember. By the death of Soleimani, we might have actually fulfilled his his goal of get us getting pushed out of Iraq. And I think that's something that it's going to be w- far worse uh, than than just one strike that we did on him.
2: Right. Republicans are drawing a contra- contrast or a. a- or a simile between the killing of Osama bin Laden and the killing of Soleimani. But mm-hmm. from what you just said, it sounds like there is a difference. Uh, Soleimani was a functionary in a government. There was well, a replacement for him
0: waiting. There's a replacement for in waiting that could, you know, probably fulfill the same, uh, uh, unfortunately, the same, you know, awful uh, tactics that he's using versus Osama bin Laden, who I think. Um, you know was not just a functionary head he was the leader of al qaeda and by taking out the the figurehead leader not just the very leader but the leader it certainly sucked the ability uh, out of al qaeda to fully function at the level that they were uh, they used to be at
2: okay so we expect congress today to pass this war powers resolution or the house to pass it um, should there be m- more that congress does in light of the killing of Soleimani with regard to our policy in Iraq and the Middle East?
0: Well, I certainly think we have to start rolling back the AUMF that was used, the authorized use of military force that was used to justify this attack, which is the 2002 authorized use of military force uh, that we... uh, In advance of the Iraq war. In advance of the Iraq war. Um, There, I... Talking to some of the members of Congress that were here and then actually voted uh, for it back in the day, uh, they had zero concept this would be used for this type of uh, action, an action that potentially brings us into war with Iran. Uh, And I think that that's a a next step we have to do is to also either amend that AUMF or – uh, just claw it back and start from scratch. Is We'd there have to,
2: is there a blueprint there that you think could be bipartisan? Because Representative Gallagher also favored that a rewrite, yep. at least of
0: that so, AUMF. So I actually did introduce a AUMF um, rewrite uh, a couple years ago, and it was a bipartisan bill. Um, and it actually sunsetted uh, the AUMF five years or a five year period, so we could, you know, responsibly uh, get out. Uh, of um, Iraq or, or any other places that we are we found ourselves in. Um, so I do believe that you can do it in a bipartisan manner and a manner that I think is also um, uh, respectful of the power of the executive as well as uh, us as Congress. Uh, but it's probably something that, that can't be done overnight. It has to be something that we have to draw out over a couple of years.
2: Right, and there's an authorization and force that Congress also passed after the 9-11 attacks. Yep. Um, if that's out there, doesn't it, it's sort of a, a blank check to fight fight terrorism? Right, and
0: that's that's my uh, bill would also deal with that one too. Um, and that one is is actually more expansive, in my opinion, than uh, than even the two thousand two, because at least two thousand two, you're just limited to uh, Iraq, uh, versus that that could take you almost anywhere in, in the world. Especially the worrying that it says it's Al Qaeda or its affiliates. Uh, unfortunately, I think it could bring us, you know, into many, many countries. Mm-hmm.
2: But isn't it important that the an administration be able to act quickly to stop an attack?
0: Well, the, the administration always has that ability to do that. Um, there is no denying that an administration, uh, any administration, can actually use forces uh, to defend themselves and to defend civilians, U.S. civilians. Um, you don't need an AUMF for that. But if you're going to wage war uh, and it's going to be a continuous or potentially put us into war, you do need to have at least consultation with Congress. Thank you for being with us, Congressman. Thank you.
2: The House vote to block war with Iran passed mostly on party lines. The resolution, however, will almost surely die in the Republican-controlled Senate. Thank you for listening. I'm Sean Zeller. The producers of this show were Joanne Levine and Evan Campbell. CQ on Congress is produced by CQ Roll Call, a leader in nonpartisan political and policy news and analysis for more than 70 years. CQ Roll Call is part of FiscalNote, a global technology and media company. We'll see you next week.